You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So avoid it at all costs. Don't even entertain it. God says so, and sin will always lead to death. It'll always lead to bondage. It'll always lead to an addiction. It will separate you from God. Isn't it interesting? The Bible tells us that there's nothing in this entire universe that can separate us from the love of God. Romans chapter 8, right? That is, except yourself and the choices that you make. There's only one thing that can separate you from God, and that is sin. When we really think about what happened at the fall of man in Genesis 3, we see how serious sin is. Sin led us to death and out of relationship with the God who created the universe. In today's message, Pastor Mike will encourage us to not entertain sin because it leads to death. Because of Jesus, there is now nothing that can separate us from God. But when we sin, we willingly reject God and choose sin. Thankfully, God shows us grace and welcomes us back when we realize what we've done. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 50 as he continues his message, A Coffin in Egypt. The Lord God commanded them, the man, verses 16 and 17, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And wouldn't you know human nature, right? You know, the equivalent of that would be like, you know, you're walking down the street and you see a sign that says wet paint, right? You know you got to go over there and just, you know, if no one's around, and just check it out for yourself and put your finger right on it to see if, if in fact, the, the, the sign is true. What is, what's up with human nature? Why do we do stupid things like that, right? And, uh, I mean, they have many different trees that they could have eaten of and enjoyed, right? Multiple trees that they could have ate uh, from or ate of. But they chose the one tree that was prohibited them by God. Okay, so the Lord lays it out. The devil comes along. Now we're trying to trace the steps of how they fell into this sin, how he enticed them. And then in chapter 3, in verse 1, the devil comes along, the serpent, who was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat? of every tree of the garden. So what is he seeking to do here? It's a slur that he places upon God's goodness. 
you know, he's suggesting that God is withholding some good thing from them. He's seeking to put doubt in Eve's mind. But notice, you know, Eve initially got it correct. Because notice her response in verse 3 of chapter 3. She goes on to declare, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And that should have been the end of it right there, right? So she answered correctly. But then the devil blatantly contradicted God's statement, and Eve is presented now with a crisis. Verses 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so put yourself in Eve's shoes for a moment. What was she to do at this point? I mean, up until this point, the only statements, the only instructions she had about the nature of things came from who? Came from God, right? She had never doubted him before. There was absolutely no reason to. But now there's this impressive serpent telling her God was not truthful. God was withholding something good from her. Deliberately withholding something good from her. God said, you will surely die, but the devil said, no way. He really didn't mean that. So, here's the dilemma. Who could be trusted? Who could be believed? And don't you find it interesting that this is the same ultimate question that confronts the human race today? Who can you believe? With so many voices out there telling us that it's lawful to do this thing or lawful to do that thing. And, you know, even the, the mores of the society, which are in constant contradiction to God's laws at times, who are we to believe? Are we to believe the word of God or the popular opinion of the culture and the society in which we live today? Who can we believe? Well, we know what happened to Eve. She checked it out for herself. She checked out the tree. She investigated the tree. What did she find? She saw that it was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. Now think about that. What do we have here? Well, it falls into those categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, which we are warned against in 1 John in chapter 2 and verse 16. Write that down as a cross-reference. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, where we're warned about those things. The things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of, of life. Those are the things that the enemy uses, right, to entice us to sin. Well, the story goes, she took, she ate, and she gave some to her husband, and he ate. She thought she could disregard God's word, on the basis of her own experience, which so many people are guilty of today, and she was absolutely wrong. It wasn't all relevant to her. You know, that's what people believe today. Hey, it's all relevant to me. You know, it doesn't matter that I, that I, uh, you know, I rob for my employer. I mean, because after all, he doesn't pay me what I'm worth. I have to put in extra hours. I'm, I'm not getting paid for those extra hours. So, you know, he, you know, he doesn't even know that I'm dipping into the till and taking, you know, what is rightfully mine anyway. It's all relevant to me and to my situation. 
you know. You get pregnant, you can abort the child because how is it going to affect me? Not even consider, it's all relevant to me. How does that thing affect me? You see, that's the problem. We don't listen to or obey God's laws, God's instructions. She thought that she could eat of the tree, but the truth of the matter was she couldn't, right? And she certainly didn't increase in wisdom, and that wasn't that the hook that drew her in by the devil? You'll be, in the day that you eat, you'll become like God, knowing good from evil. Now, why would anyone want to know anything about evil in the first place? I mean, good I can understand, but not evil, right? And, uh, and I'll pick up on that in just a moment. But she died, spirit, soul, and then eventually body. You know, the real intellect, think about this, is someone, the real intelligent person, the, the person who is wise, is someone who sees the world around them through God's eyes, who draws good conclusions, who makes wise and good decisions. Listen, today, think about Eve. Where is Eve today? We know where Joseph is. We know the impact that he had on the lives of so many people, even on us. Considering Joseph in, here in this book of the, the Bible has become sort of like a mini-series within our Genesis series hasn't it? We've learned so many wonderful lessons as we've considered Joseph's life. You know, in comparison to many of the other characters in the Bible, Joseph was without flaw, without sin, really. I mean, you know, you think of Father Abraham. He's recommended to us as the father of the faith, and you would think that, you know, here's someone that we should follow in his footsteps and emulate the things that he did. But, you know, how many times in our series in the book of Genesis have we found Abraham lapsing into unbelief, not trusting God. For example, his wife Sarah and, and lying about her identity and getting him, himself into all kinds of different trouble as was true of many of the other characters that we were introduced to here in our uh, series in the book of Genesis. But that wasn't true of Joseph, right? Think about that. You know, the unbelievable character. It's sort of like the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament character you know, Paul the Apostle, right? So many wonderful lessons that were served up for us. So let me ask you this question. Where is Eve today? Today, her dust lies scattered in an unknown grave. I mean, what is her epitaph? What is the legacy that she left behind for us to follow? The answer is absolutely nothing. We, we're going to give her a peace of mind of our mind when we get to heaven, right? You blew it royally, kiddo, you know? Listen, the very things that God said would happen to Adam and Eve happened. God is true. Remember, I've gone a long way to make this point. This is our second point in our study this morning. God is true. His word is true. God is true, and all contrary words are lies. So let us learn this lesson as we consider Joseph's coffin. You may find sin attractive, pleasing to the eye, good, desirable, but the Bible warns us the wages of sin is death. Listen, you run headlong into sin, and you can be sure eventually you'll regret that choice. We need to avoid sin at all costs. 
Don't even entertain the thought of sin when the opportunity presents itself to you. God says so. He warns us against this thing. And sin will always lead to death. It'll lead to bondage. It'll lead to an addiction. Best you know, when presented with the opportunity, you don't mess with it. You don't, you don't even touch it. You know, the problem with, with sin is, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to stand here before you and tell you that there's not pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in sin. The Bible even testifies to that fact. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but it's only for a season. And when that season's over, man, you're going to pay. You're going to pay the consequences and the choice that you made to sin. You can be sure of it. And therein is part of the problem. You know, you mess around with sin, and the immediate response is, wow, this is pleasing. And I like this. I like this feeling. You know, I like the buzz that I get when I drink alcohol. You know, when I smoke a joint, man, you know, I'm feeling really, you know, good and stuff. You know, when I have sex outside of the marriage relationship, man, you know, my body has all these wonderful feelings and stuff. This is really cool. But you know what happens is you've tasted of that now and you eventually causes you to crave for a greater degree in the future. Don't mess around with it in the first place. You've been warned. I mean, how it, the Bible, it's so black and white. God doesn't want you to have to deal with those sorts of choices and decisions. Listen, man, God's word is true. The wages of sin is death. You will eventually regret choosing to sin. So avoid it at all costs. Don't even entertain it. God says so, and sin will always lead to death. It'll always lead to bondage. It'll always lead to an addiction. It will separate you from God. Isn't it interesting? The Bible tells us that there's nothing in this entire universe that can separate us from the love of God. Romans chapter 8, right? That is, except yourself and the choices that you make. There's only one thing that can separate you from God, and that is sin. And that's the very reason why God sent his only begotten son into this world. It was the sin problem. It was the sin question. It was the sin issue. That sin thing had to be dealt with. And that was the reason why God sent his son into the world, right? It was because of sin. Because sin alienates us from God. When we choose to sin, we die spiritually. So God's word alone can be trusted in all things. So don't listen to the many voices that are out there that are, is encouraging you to do the wrong thing, like it's okay, the mores of our society, the, our culture, and everybody's doing it. I remember growing up, that was, the, that was the kind of catchphrase for everything. Well, everybody's doing it. And it seemed like something changed, man, in the late 50s, early 60s. I mean, spiritually speaking, morally speaking, I mean, our United States of America just did a whole U-turn. And I was a part of that generation. Listen, God's word is true. You cannot violate God's word and not pay the penalty. Well, that brings us to our last lesson, if you've been counting the third, that we learned from this coffin in Egypt, and that is we can trust in the promises of God. I mean, think about exactly who it was that was resting in that coffin, in that coffin. Joseph was a believing man, and he testified to his belief as he died. You know, go back to that last chapter in chapter 50 of the book of Genesis, and let's read that testimony in verses 24 and 25. The last words that he spoke 
to God's people Israel, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That would have, of course, been the land of Canaan. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So he testified to his belief as he died. And let me tell you something, his descendants remembered those words. In fact, the Israelites must have often thought of Joseph's faith as they passed that coffin for those 400 years, particularly when they were in bondage there. You know, the Bible tells us that a new pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph. And man, let me tell you something, things got really bad for the Israelites. You know, as we move into the next book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, we find that to be true. But the Israelites must have often thought of Joseph's faith as they passed that coffin for those 400 years, as they waited for God's promise of deliverance to come, even as Joseph had said it would. That deliverance would come to pass. And maybe those words were even engraved on a plaque surely recorded somewhere there in Egypt. And go back to verses 24 and 25. Let me just draw your attention to something here. I like the repetition of the word surely. Do you see that there in verses 24 and 25? What does Joseph say? He says, surely God will visit you, right? Surely he'll visit you. He says it twice in verses 24 and 25. In other words, Joseph is saying, God said it, I believe it, and he died in that confidence. But think about this. It took four centuries for that to come to pass. And who can keep faith up for four centuries? Well, the time rolled around, a bush burned, Moses was commissioned by God, and ultimately he was sent back to Egypt, and Pharaoh was broken. You know, one writer put it this way, and I love this. He said, God lifts his feet slowly, but he plants them firmly as he walks through the world. And so it is. Listen, let us not lose faith in the promises of God. You know, how many times, think about this in your own personal experience, you know, you've been praying for something, and you've been looking to God for some immediate response. Something's come up in your life's experience. So you Take it to the Lord in prayer, as rightfully you should. That's the right thing to do. And you've been praying, you've been praying, you continue to pray, you continue to pray, and you know what? You don't get an immediate response. And then time goes on, and maybe you've even left off praying for that particular need. But somewhere down the road, it could have been months down the road, it could have been actually even years down the road, and then all of a sudden, you receive the fulfillment of your prayer request. And then you're reminded of the fact, you know what, I've, I've totally forgot about this, but I remember about a year ago, I was praying for this very thing. And then God opened the door, right? You know, things continue to tarry and seems as if they never change, but God's word is true. Let us not lose faith in the promises of God. Times are appointed. Wait on God. Although it seems like things never change, things continue to linger 
on, you can be sure that it will come to pass. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 2, in verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, and it will not tarry. Listen, gang, we can trust in the promises of God. Joseph's coffin stood as a powerful testimony and influence for those many, many years. True, we don't know how many were influenced. We don't know how many remained faithful to God. But we do know that there was at least a remnant. Because as we move into the next book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus in chapter 6 and verse 20, we read of a man and a woman who were from the tribe of Levi. Their name was Amram and Jochebed, who were believers, who instilled the knowledge that they had in God in their two sons, whose names were Aaron and Moses. Aaron and Moses. You see, this is not the end. It's just the beginning as we move into the next book of the Bible. It's the testimony of one who, like many others, looked for the one who is to destroy death and crush the head of Satan. You know, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Now, why was that? And how is that even possible? And then he goes on to answer that question, and he says, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so how, how do you view death today? Think about that. Do you consider death as just simply a beginning, a new beginning? Or do you approach it as a horror? The idea of death has been the subject, you've heard me say this before, right from the very beginning of time. It's been the subject that's been written about probably more than any other subject. It's been the focus of poetry and authors and literature. And, you know, how much of early literature is taken up with the subject of death? The unknown, the fear of the unknown. But we as Christians, we don't have to fear death. It's only the beginning. That is, if you know Christ. If you know that God is true, that his word is true. And if you do, you know that you can live even now in real freedom from sin, guilt, and bondage. And we have the hope that we can look forward to a new home in glory with God for all eternity. But it all hinges upon our knowing Christ and giving our lives to Christ. I hope that you've made that choice. In my Father's house There's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be oh my When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.